We all face some silent struggle, but trust me, you are not alone. I'm your host, MJ, and every week we break down a challenge, success, or struggle with someone who's also been through it. We learn from lived experience and love to share tools, resources, and concepts that might help you get off the struggle bus. Interested? Subscribe for more. Let's get into it. We're back, and I'm really excited about this week because I get to speak with Laura Walters. Laura used to be at Salesforce. I actually know her through a former guest, Gabe Walters, who also happens to be her partner. As I was talking with Gabe, he shared that you got caught up with those tech layoffs. And I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. I know there's resilience here and I know you are finding your way. And I think The interesting thing of having you on the podcast this week is to really talk about golden handcuffs and resilience and being able to navigate through a difficult thing like a layoff. So thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. I'm super excited to be here and I can share more about my longer history because I only spent a few years at Salesforce, but I've probably capped 10 total years in corporate America. So I've got a lot of different experience in a lot of different industries because I had a hard time finding my way through that jungle. So (laughs) (laughs) your background really is an organizational change. And doing that in corporate America, which is absolutely fascinating to me. Can you share more about what that work is like and how you got into it? Yeah, absolutely. I have to rewind all the way back. I was a former college athlete and my number one childhood goal was to play division one soccer. I had no other goal outside of that. I was like, I want to play I want to do this. And it was a huge, crazy process in high school as people who've played sports in college know, like the process to get seen, get noticed, get committed to a school is really intense. So when I got there, I played at University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. I played all four years. And when I was done, I was lost, Mm. like a hundred percent lost. I had grown up identifying with being an athlete and I had no other life goals aside to be like a great grandmother, which was like a weird child goal, you know, that I'm like, hopefully we'll still, but I'm a little late on that. So I had no idea what I wanted to do in real life. My mom had spent 25 years in corporate America. My dad was very blue collar and worked at Home Depot for 20 years. So I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, how I wanted to contribute to society. And I, like most people in 2013, moved to the Bay Area shortly after I graduated from college and joined a startup, which was like very startup-y and very disorganized and unstructured. I was in our customer service team and we were responsible for basically once a client was sold, and I won't go into the details of the company, but once a client was sold... We basically had to manage that client and then retain that client. So our work was really in the relationship of that client. What I quickly noticed was that there was no accountability from the salespeople to actually sell that work correctly. Mm -hmm. And they were compensated off of closing the deal, not retaining the deal. And we were compensated off of a year long relationship and then renewing their contract. And I was like, okay, so we have like way more work we get paid way less and we get paid way later, right? I was interested in how to fix that. 
basically. Cause I was like, I don't feel like these systems are working together yeah. to achieve the goal that we're really trying to achieve, which is like helping our clients. And so my mom had spent 20 years. She was a regional vice president at the time that she retired. And so she has spent years solving organizational problems like this. And she's like, Oh, what you're talking about is organizational development or organizational change. I was like, oh, how interesting. There actually was a graduate school program at Sonoma State that I ended up going to where I studied organizational development and really got into the change management space because at the time that was really the only place you could actively do organizational development type work in a steady role without being like a consultant or starting your own gig. Mm -hmm. And so out of grad school, I got a job at a consulting firm working as a change manager. And then I did that from 2016 till present. That's kind of a long story, but in a lot of ways, it was interesting to me. On another hand, going through that program and going through that learning helped me process my own change and navigate my own change from like, okay, I'm an athlete now to I'm a regular person (laughs) in the working world who does not have games on the weekends that she's preparing for and high stakes, you know, all this other stuff. I would say I'm still probably working through some of that, but having studied change management, having studied how to move large groups of people, small groups of people, individuals through change, it's helped me a lot in my own journey of just changing, finding new identity, finding new passions, etc. So that's kind of like the long story of how I got into it and how I landed where I'm at today. That's so fascinating. I wouldn't even think about how a former student athlete would be like, this is my identity and navigating to figuring out what you want to do in your own career past being an athlete. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of athletes more than you'd realize deal with that transition because there is an element of purpose associated with it. And for me, I started playing when I was 10, when my family was going through some issues and it really helped me escape and process some of the stuff that was going on internally. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of ways was my outlet and my way to manage stress, get through life. And I just loved it. I loved it to to my core, like everything that I needed to do, the running, the fitness, the training, I loved every aspect of it. So it was not huge deal to me. And plus I love the games and everything else and the community and the friends and all that. So a huge portion of my childhood was geared around that. And so when it was gone, I had no idea what to do. I didn't really know if I had anything valuable to offer aside from that. I was like, well, I better figure out how to navigate this or I'm going to be in serious trouble. You know, it worked itself out that I got into that field and I was interested in it. And, you know, it's a lot different managing your own change than managing other people's change. Yeah. As you're speaking, I'm thinking about some of my friends and even myself figuring out like, what is my identity outside of work? Because for the past 15 years, I've been working in nonprofits and government and it's only been maybe the past three to five years that I've learned to sort of uncouple myself from that work identity. And I see a parallel as a student athlete, like this is my whole life right now because this is, I am a student and I have games every weekend and I'm practicing Mm -hmm. right to the intensity of somebody who's working in politics or nonprofit of like, this is my identity because I am helping this community or this campaign. Then you get to a point where, you're so burnt out and so depleted that 
not that it's gone because obviously the world's on fire at the moment, but as a person to be like, what is after? And it's so fascinating that you got into that world of change management. Can you give some examples of what does working in change management look like for folks who don't know? If your company or your organization is implementing anything new or changing anything. So for example, say you're getting a new software system to capture all your leads and you have a certain process that's associated with doing it today. And when you implement this new system, it's going to look different and you're going to have a different process to input leads and track all of your stuff, right? So when you think about Salesforce, obviously they're a big client service. They have everything. But when you implement something new like that, there's a lot of change that's required. And to your point is like people have a strong identity with the work that they do. And so it's very disruptive when you change something for somebody and they don't feel an expertise around it, or they don't feel a mastery around it. It really messes with people's emotions (laughs) and people don't want to bring their emotions to work. I mean, we have more of that now, but Even so, like people don't want to be perceived as incompetent. People don't want to be perceived as they don't know what they're doing. It's very rare that you find people who are okay with that and are willing to champion the change. Mm -hmm. And so that's in essence what I have done the last six years is, okay, we're implementing this change. How do we get these people to be prepared for it? What is it that's changing? And so we call it assessing the change impacts, right? So it's like, what actually is changing? And how do we let people know that before they implement this new thing? Then how do we get them bought in on it? This is actually a better way of doing it for X, Y, and Z reasons. So they have their own like, oh yeah, okay, if I do it this way, this will make my life easier in X, Y, and Z ways. And that's not always true, just FYI, which is like a whole nother topic. Sometimes you implement changes and it's worse and it's worse for the first six months. Then there's like a training element to it. So it's like, there's all these new aspects associated. We want to make sure that you're trained and equipped to do that. So when the chain actually comes, people are ready, willing, and able to adopt the change and move forward. And so it's messy. We have tools, templates, methods, all this stuff that we try and apply. But in my experience, it's always really messy. 20% of people are like, no problem, can change with no effort. They're totally into it. They're really adaptable. 60 to 70 are kind of just like, whatever. You can't get them to, you know, and then there's like, where am I at in percentage wise? There's like 10 to 15. I I don't know where we're at. It's like, then there's 10 to 15 people who are just pissed, don't want to change, are really loud about it. And it feels like your work is just like a complete waste of time because they're just, those are all the people you hear from. Like you rarely hear from the people who are like, yeah, whatever, I'm totally fine. And like the middle people, because they're just like trying to survive. (laughs) And there's like the people in the back who are just like, no, this is going to ruin everything. It's like, those are who you manage pretty much. It's very complex and messy. I'm going to go back to that point about that 10, 15% of folks to manage are the noisy ones, right? Yeah. Because what you're sharing really reminds me of my day-to-day work because I'm the chief information officer for a nonprofit. And so building in new tools, like the adoption of Slack at our organization. Oh. Why don't you get me started on Slack? <laughs> Because, well, you know, Salesforce bought Slack. And so we had to move Slack. Okay, okay. It's unclear to me if an organization that big has actually used Slack successfully. 
Ooh. I think I'll say that yeah. shyly. It was a mess. Slack was a mess for a big organization like Salesforce. It was totally chaotic. The only thing I could really manage was ZMs, which is like Google Hangouts, but different. My goodness. <laughs> but anyways, to your point, Slack, integrating Slack. I've integrated Salesforce into an organization too. And these percentages are ringing true. There's definitely like, I'm the person that you'd probably work with, right? If somebody- Yeah, absolutely. Know, and I remember like half the staff would be like, all right, you're championing this. I guess we'll go along. And then yes. like, the folks that have been in the institution forever would be like, why is this happening? Why are we doing this? Why can't we just write everything like handwritten or like in Microsoft documents? Right. <laughs> and you're like, but efficiency. <laughs> right. Like we can't do that anymore. Or we oh, can't write memos and leave them on your desk. Like, no. I definitely understand the messiness. And the management of it. And wow, power to you to be able to work in that type of environment and actually enjoy it for so oh, long. You, is enjoy the right word? <laughs> I do not know that enjoy is the right word, but that is okay. I think like the principles and the concept of change management are very interesting. And I yes. think they're super useful. And I have worked with so many change managers who are amazing at their job. Like they can really cut through the emotional piece of it. They're really detail oriented. They can get mm -hmm. all the information out and they're like stellar. That was not my favorite thing. While I was good at it and I understood it and I could speak the language and I could kind of get through it. I, it was one of those things that I was thinking about as I was preparing some of my thoughts for us to talk today was towards the end, especially at Salesforce, I was like so over it. I was like, mm -hmm. I think I'm in the wrong role. I'm not this level of detail. And so that's where Salesforce, like kind of coming full circle, I was actually the only change management person for our finance and strategy department, which is like their FP&A department. Okay. And my boss was not a change person. He was a finance person. So he had really no idea what I should be doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I definitely took advantage of that. And I was able to actually do more of the organizational development work that I had learned in grad school. And so this is where I got into like facilitating workshops and clarifying strategic priorities and getting clear on our vision and what we're trying to achieve as a department within a larger organization. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of joy in that. It was way more fun, way more dynamic. You're harnessing a bunch of brilliant minds to like move in the same direction, which is very hard. Yeah. But that I appreciated a lot more, but all in all working in the corporate system is very hard. It's very bureaucratic. It's very political. And so as someone who's like generally straightforward, honest, transparent, and wants to solve real problems, I got into a ton of trouble mm. <laughs> all the time. All this time. And I mean, that's I, we're friends. Yeah. I'm like, I had one, one leader that I worked with who will always be someone I would work for again. He was great. Like he trusted my expertise. He let me do all the things I suggested. He was like my number one supporter. And we were able to actually make a lot of progress within his particular group within the broader organization. But trying to get leaders to not play politics in organizations as big as Salesforce is near impossible and it's so draining. And so towards the end, that was where I was just like golden handcuff, like bringing it all the way. That's where I was like, I feel like I'm in a golden handcuff situation where it's like, 
I get to do whatever I want any mm-hmm. every day. Nobody is micromanaging me. I'm not really solving real problems, mm. but I get to do a lot of things that I want to do and I get to experiment and people have let me do that. I am sure that I won't make the money that I'm making right now in another role. That's the same title. Yeah. So I was like the manager of change management. I'm like middle of the rung on the ladder, <laughs> like not even close to a leader, but I'm every day working with SVPs and, and above or directors and above really, and getting paid way more than what I would be getting paid if I was working at a change management role somewhere else. Because I was actually cataloged as a FP&A manager, Ooh. which I wasn't. So it was like hilarious. But so it was like one of those situations where I was like, I'm getting paid way more. I probably work, honestly, six hours a day. Mm-hmm. I don't start till like 10 or 11, especially after moving to Miami. And I'm maybe on calls till like six at the latest. Nobody's on my back and I get really good benefits. I get really good pay. I have some time to help out with Gabe on Steady Worth and live my life. And so it was like, there were a couple of times after we moved where I was like, maybe I should get a different job. I'm so tired. But then it was like, is it really going to be better somewhere else? And the answer kept, it was like, no. That kept being the answer. So I just stayed, stuck it out. You stuck it out until... Until I got laid off. <laughs> it was like the best thing. Honestly, it was the best thing. Like when I got the nudes, I was actually at the DMV. Oh. Trying to change my name because I was really slow at doing that. Very slow. <laughs> In November 2021, it's January 2023. So I was actually at the, at the DMV changing my name and girl who had just started working for me like eight months prior texted me and she was like, Hey, I just got an email that my job was eliminated. Can you call me? And at this point I'm like, this is where my mind's at, right? Like it's nine 30. I haven't looked at my email yet yeah. that day. Cause I just couldn't, it was just like, you know, I just, I didn't have this, that level of intensity or care. <laughs> and, and I opened my email. I'm like, crap, me too. Oh no. <laughs> I'm like, crap, me too. So then I call Gabe and this is the best thing. This is why I love Gabe so much. I call Gabe and I'm like, babe, I just got laid off. He was like, awesome. Ah, Yeah. He was just like, great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) You know, like I had to like remind myself because, you know, at first it was like, uh Mm uh-oh. Salesforce, as much bureaucracy as I dealt with, as hard as it was, Salesforce is probably one of the best companies I've worked for in terms of benefits, pay, generosity. I got to stay on the payroll till March 24th and I okay. didn't have to work. And then I got, and then we got six months of paid Cobra. That's great. So we had Cobra paid till September. And then I got a very generous severance and I still get my bonus from last year. That's amazing. So like all things that Salesforce absolutely did not have to do, but- when I think above and beyond, because I know people who just get axed and that's it, you know, yep. like, there you go. But, you know, Salesforce had great pay. When I took the job, I actually doubled my salary. That was a total God thing, but it was like a huge bump, like yeah. major changes in my lifestyle and was able to save a ton, invest. I mean, thanks to Gabe, really. <laughs> I was really thinking about this because now that I'm in steady worth, I'm like, okay, like how much, like just dating you and getting married to you, how much money have I actually saved? And it was like, 
He helped me open my brokerage account. He helped me get signed up for my employee stock purchase program, which I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh-huh, yeah. Basically, you can you can buy your company's stock at a discount. Mm-hmm. He was like, you should up your 401k contribution because you can. So I ended up maxing it out like two, three years in a row because of that. And yeah. And so it was like, and then I started budgeting regularly. (laughs) Guilty. I started budgeting two years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Or three years ago, I guess. But the amount of like small little baby changes, like doubled, doubled, like what I was saving, what I had earned over time. And Another benefit we got was a hundred dollar wellness reimbursement. So oh. if we're at it, going to a gym or had some sort of chiropractor expense, like we could expense that up to a hundred dollars a month. That's awesome. So twelve hundred dollars a year towards your wellness, well-being. Which was yeah. yeah. So I was like, there's a lot of things where I'm like, even outside of compensation, that felt like this was probably one of the better places to be. It's so great that they're able to provide that sort of golden parachute for you to exit. You're at a point where you get to explore what Laura wants after this with some runway, it seems like. So yeah, what's it like taking your own medicine of organizational change, but for Laura? (laughs) Well, you know, it's so funny because I've spent obviously the last, like I went into the working world really. I mean, I don't really count my job after school got out because I worked at Nordstrom, you know, so it's like as a sales rep. So it's like, I don't really count that as like my first full-time job. Like my first corporate job was that startup in 2013 that I joined. So about 10 years in corporate. Truthfully, it's been a real grind. And I feel like in a lot of ways, like a a self-refining process where when things don't necessarily go the way that you imagine them in your mind, you have to really sit down and examine yourself, what you want, what you value, what you want your life to look like, and who you are in relation to all of that. So I feel like I struggled so much from the last 10 years just doing that work of understanding why I would get mad over certain things. Why is that particular thing making me mad, right? And so there's a lot of undercover work that is required. And in a change management profession, one of the best tools you have is yourself. Mm. That's what I learned in grad school. It was like, it was called, the concept was called use of self. Okay. You could, of course, have a spreadsheet with all the change impacts outlined. You could have a great training curriculum. But at the end of the day, when someone is devastated and feeling scared about the changes that are coming or feeling insecure about the changes that are coming, you're the one that they talk to and you're the one that helps them through that. And so if you don't understand yourself and your triggers, you can't actually be an advocate of change because your stuff starts to get in the way of their progress. Oh, that's deep. Yeah, I know. And it was one of the best things I've ever learned because we all have a set of gifts and tools and things that we love doing that offer something to the world. I used to be, call myself an emotional roller coaster because like one day, like in the morning, I would be like happy, amazing. And then it was like, I spilled my coffee on the floor and the whole day's ruined. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that type of person where it's like, I was said to have a great day and then 
I spilled my coffee on my brand new white shoes and my whole life is ruined. You know, like that's kind of like how I was as a okay. kid. I'm being a little dramatic for yeah, well, dramatic, but, and I, I really didn't like that about myself. I didn't okay. like being so all over the place. And so this concept of use of self and understanding yourself and what triggers you and what gets you out of yourself was really interesting to me. And I found that it was probably one of the most valuable things that I had in corporate America, because not everyone is aware of how they make other people feel or how other people make them feel. And a lot of what you're dealing in corporate America, and I said this a lot, was like, Gabe said this before too, is like, you're babysitting. Oh, babysitting people sometimes because you're dealing with a reaction that's their little kid. Like they're not actually their adult selves sometimes, especially when they're feeling insecure, fearful about the changes coming, all this stuff. And so if you're not sure how you respond to that stuff, it's going to be harder for you to stay in control of your emotions and help that person through it. Because that person really, it's not about you at all. It's a hundred percent about them yeah. and you're just facilitating a process for them so that they could come out the other side and be whole and be okay. And maybe not a hundred percent, but this is their job. So it's like, they have to take the, they have to adopt these changes in order to continue. And if they don't, I mean, they're going to do poorly and maybe lose their job. So it's important to carry people's emotions with care, but also not react to them poorly because it's really not about you. And how often do you get upset by someone else? And you're like, oh, this is really not about them. This is me. Yeah. Right. So I hope that makes sense. It's really relatable to nonprofit and government work too, because you are babysitting your electeds (laughs) as a staffer, as a staffer. That's so amazing that you said that because I don't know who said this to me, but how folks react to you is more of a projection of them than it is about you. I'm completely butchering that quote. I always say people's feedback says more about them than it does about you. And I think that's true as well. What you're saying is like how people respond to you says more about them than it does about you. And I always say this too, is keep that in mind. Yeah. Like just because it's not necessarily about you, you also have to think like, is there something about how I'm showing up that's that I don't want to show up that way? And I don't want to impact people that way. And if the answer is like, well, I'm just being myself and like, I'm trying, but I can't over rotate, make this person feel better. Cause sometimes there's those situations too. I've had that before at work. It's always feedback and it's always good to take it and hold on to it for a little while and see if you want to keep it, keep parts of it and integrate parts of it. Other than that, let it go. And sometimes it's helpful to let the situation breathe a bit too. Accept the feedback, take it with a grain of salt, and letting it breathe will help them realize, oh, it's not about the process. It's about something that's triggering me. And then your work as leading the change, you're kind of like, oh, you've come to the conclusion yourself without me inputting things. If I could say anything to my younger self, people will get there. You don't have to over rotate for them. Everyone has their own process and everyone has their own way of managing themselves. Some are better at it than others. I've taken too much responsibility over the years for other people's 
responses or lack of ability to change? Is there something I could be doing better? And I think that's always a good question to ask, but sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. We spend so much time trying to grow ourselves and how can I be better? And it's like, at some point you have to just know there's nothing you could have done better. And that's okay. Like that is okay. It's crazy how things come together. I feel like the older you, the younger you are, the more, the less experience you have of things coming together. Mm. And I feel like the older you get and the more you pay attention, you realize how many things actually have come together without very much of your effort at all. And it's not to say you shouldn't participate in your own life because I definitely think you should. But the agonizing over the little details of like, how am I going to fix this relationship? A small story is like my mom and I over the years have had various different ups and down seasons, kind of working from being mom, daughter, to being adult, an adult child, to figuring things out, finding my own voice and all that stuff. And just recently, like just last week, we, or this week, like we just had talked about something that I had like literally no idea about. And I feel like to a certain extent, like the whole situation over the last 10 years kind of just like came together Mm. and this like really sweet moment of like, All of these feelings that I had about being the good little girl or all these things that I had to work through in my 20s that I kind of just resented, like almost the whole thing, my mom had shared something with me that I had no idea. My mom struggled with depression when I was a kid and I had no idea, zero idea until recently. And she just had said, at one point she had said, your your well-being was actually the only thing keeping me going at one point. And so, you know, like when you kind of deal with some of these things where you're like, man, I just had to, I had to keep it together. I had to be doing well when everything was not going well. And I resent that. And it was like, I would do it all over again, knowing that, you know what I mean? It's just like, it came full circle or it was like all these things that I resented and kids do when they grow up and try and find their own voice. It's like, your parents are just people like you and broken people at that and have their own issues. And so I'm going off on a, on a little tangent here, but you know, I just, things come together and you don't need yeah. to rush. I know this episode was generally supposed to be for golden handcuffs, but I think it's actually becoming a beautiful navigating change sort of episode. Um, That's just where my heart is. Honestly, I just feel like so many people have a hard time with it. I had a hard time with it. It's where I learn the most. And so it's kind of where my mind always goes because we're in an environment that's changing every day. Oh yeah. It's very disruptive. People are all over the place emotionally because they can't keep up and they're trying to keep up with all the different information that's out there and figure out what their place is in the world. And It's hard to watch sometimes because I don't feel like we're very good at navigating change. I think the next couple of years are going to be interesting, especially with artificial intelligence coming through and how folks are not quite sure how to navigate that change. But it's happening so fast that folks aren't even realizing that you you may not go into chat GPT and type things in yourself, but your information is already running through those systems. Yes, I love it personally. Same. As someone who helps Gabe write a ton of content and organize a ton of content, it is great to not work off of a blank slate. I will say I have some old school, like, I didn't write this and I feel like I'm plagiarizing in my mind. Yeah. 
But for the most part, when I put something in, I don't love it fully and I'm editing it myself. So just <laughs> disclaimer. I feel like I need to disclaim that. Someone was like, you need to just get rid of that thought. And I'm like, I can't. There's something so important to me about creativity and like bringing something forward that's unique. Yeah. That scares me a little bit about automation, about this AI stuff. What I remind myself is I'm the one putting in the prompts. And then after it spits it out, I'm editing. Right. So, like, there's still a very human element to it. Totally, totally. Part of me wishes this came out five years ago when I was spending hours writing corporate comms for change implementations. And I could have just put this in chat GBT and implemented the benefits and didn't have to write the whole dang thing. <laughs> I actually worry about internships at this point and junior staffers, because once I found my flow with ChatGPT and I use PodStream that helps with the podcast notes. That's why things have looked a little more consistent on the podcast front. Oh, yeah, because that stuff makes your life so much easier. Like having to write out manually the podcast notes, like, ugh. Yeah, it's like I pull the transcript from here, spits it in there. This is where it'll be interesting to see how things change because starting out in my career, especially as a consultant, I learned so much by sitting and taking notes. Yes. And so the fact that that wasn't automated and I was accountable for writing the notes, synthesizing the notes, sending the notes out to clients, like I learned what needed to be in there, what was important for clients to know, what was what I needed to take out and they didn't need to know. And so that is where I feel like our education system needs to catch up and create less robots because we already will have enough and we need people who can think and can discern, can critically think about what's right and what's wrong because it's going to take over very quickly. That's where the human element and navigating change really comes into play because these are systems and you've worked in the tech sector. <laughs> these systems yeah. are designed primarily by folks that are not as diverse as the population of the country. Mm -hmm. And so there's room to make sure that you are still valuable in the workforce. It's almost like owning your humanity is the change that folks need to make in a world where we're entering prompts in AI. Well, I think this goes back to what I was saying, like the more you know yourself and the more you are able to identify your emotions, manage your emotions and regulate your emotions is going to be ever more important because, you know, people have emotions, but emotions aren't necessarily truth. Mm -hmm. Yep. You have to see an emotion as a symptom of something else. So there's something going on in my life that is making me sad. What is that? There's something in my life that is making me angry. What is that? This person made me angry. Why? Mm -hmm. Right? This, this situation is making me anxious. Why? Right. And I feel like we're, we spend a little too much time focusing on our anxiety or our sadness or our anger and less about why we have that and how we can orient, change, cut people out. I've had to cut many, many friends, many people, many situations down because I was like, actually, I'm not even capable of handling this right now. Hmm. And this person needs to go. And I need to go do the work to figure out why this is bothering me so much so that I can maybe come back and maybe not. And so that's kind of my, my little thread is like we're being ruled too much by our emotions and not using them as indicators for self-work. That is definitely something to chew on. 
and to think about. Thank you so much for all the gems you've dropped today and for your time. Of course. I am always for promoting all the work that's happening at SteadyWorth. Yes, officially joining the crew, (laughs) applying change and all of that to financial planning, which has been really fun and hard and exciting and nerve wracking and all of the above. Gabe is just such a force. So he is. After three months in the startup world and entrepreneur life, I was like, I seriously admire and am so inspired at your level of dedication, consistency, and grit to keep going because it is not easy. Mm -hmm. It is not an easy road. Yeah. So I'm excited. It'll be fun. Well, thank you so much. Yes. More to come. I'm so excited.